But I think the, the good sponsors, you know, myself, I'm a passive investor too, are really kind of obsessed with the timeliness of the updates, right? And so usually we see this in a monthly update format. That's what we do. We sometimes see financials in a monthly format. We sometimes see financials or a full reporting package on a quarterly basis. That's what we do. We don't send out, push out financials every month, but we do push out a narrative and distributions every month. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Devin Elder. Today, we're talking about expectations that passive syndication investors should have of their syndication teams in the technology and service and security spaces. These are things you might not think about when you first get started, uh, expectations that you should have for you know what software packages they should be using or what kind of details or, or features that they should be, the, the sponsor should be providing to you, the passive investor uh, in terms of their technology and really security. That's, in my opinion, the most important aspect of this. And uh, that's what we get into today. Devin is a successful real estate investor out of San Antonio, Texas. We talk about his experience, some of the, the things that he's done in building and scaling his business, the most important people that he's put in place, or the most recent people, the first people, employees that he put in place, and uh, kind of everything around that. Really interesting interview. I learned a lot today, and uh, we get into a lot of things that are important for both passive and active real estate investors in the real estate syndication space. Great interview, great time talking to Devin, and you're gonna have a great time learning today. If you're new to the show, take a quick second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button, that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and you will help. we will help you escape Wall Street and invest in Main Street. If you do enjoy the show, again, please take a quick second. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Five stars if you don't mind. It's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps Apple know that folks are enjoying and learning from the show, and therefore they rank us higher in their ecosystem, and we can help even more people escape the Wall Street Wall Street casino and invest in Main Street. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. And as we address in this interview, I also passively invest in real estate syndications. So this is relevant to me all around. And a little little dirty secret, a lot of active real estate syndicators out there passively invest in syndications as well. And we talk about that today too. So without any further ado, here we go with Devin Elder. Devin, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to talk with you. I've been following you on Instagram for a while now, and we've never uh, spoken or connected, and uh, happy to have the chance to speak with you today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your business, and your background, can you tell us a bit about where you come from and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas, graduated college here, and spent a decade in the corporate world, IT, sales, marketing, kind of wore a lot of hats during that time, and really always had the entrepreneurial spirit. And I found that that was, I couldn't let that run as much as it needed to run within a corporate structure, bottom line. So I found real estate and started out small, started out with houses, and then another one, and then a dozen, and then a hundred, and then ran into the scalability limitations that folks often run into in single family. 
So discovered multifamily and started with a six unit and then a 75 unit and 130 unit and 250 unit and have kind of scaled up and have found the multifamily business to be much more suited to scaling. You've got team systems. It's a business, you know, running a flip business, flipping houses, tough to scale, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of heartbreak when you're just trying to get all your profit on the back end. Whereas when we close a multifamily deal and a week later, there's 200,000 of revenue coming in. Hey, that's, that's a totally different business model. Very different. We like it for a lot of reasons. So we're a multifamily owner and operator now in San Antonio. And that's primarily what we focus on is buying these, you know, 1980s, 200 unit apartment complex. And we'll go in, rebrand them, bring in our management company, do a refresh on some of these tired assets and, and ultimately improve net operating income. And this is all in service of hitting our or beating our investor return projections. And if we found if we can do that, we can basically go do all the deals that we want to. So that's what we're up to these days. Nice. And you mentioned, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, which didn't work in the corporate world. And then some figures with scaling up your single family portfolio. And it sounds like, you know, it sounds like you probably got to the point where you had done enough single families that you might have had enough cash flow coming in that you didn't need to go build the property management business. You probably created enough passive income so you could retire and just kind of move on with your life and do what you want. Is that is that wrong? Am I getting the wrong impression or am I on the track? Yeah, I'm, my goal when I started all this was was to retire and, and or or to achieve this level where your passive income meets and exceeds your bills. And so I was able to do that while working the corporate job. You know, I was doing both for a few years, about two and a half years, what I would call burning the candle at both ends, building a real estate business and the full, you know, the full-time corporate job and a family and all that stuff. But once I meet that met that threshold of passive income exceeding monthly expenses, I was functionally retired. And I really reveled in that. You know, that was a real milestone for me. But it was about three months of being able to play golf uh, on a Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock and feeling like, oh, really pat myself on the back for this achievement of retiring that, you know, for certain types of, of individuals, I'm one of them. I've always got to have another kind of mountain to climb. And that that certainly wasn't going to cut it to be in my 30s and be retired. Like it, 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 there was <laughs> it was neat to kind of check the box on it, but that wasn't going to cut it for me. So uh, I dove back into building the real estate business at some really big targets and and have kind of enjoyed the pursuit of that, you know, for a number of years now. That's one of the things that I think fascinates me a lot about folks that have kind of hit that level, hit that uh, retirement phase, tried it out and then decided this actually is not even as good as work at my job. I need to have something to do. I'm going to go continue to build this business. I, I can't, like we're talking on a Friday afternoon. You don't need to be working, talking to me Friday, this Friday afternoon, but you know, you're, you're choosing to do that, which I, I think is interesting. And I think not everybody would make that choice if they reach that level. I don't know. Do you think it's something inherent to you? Do you think that makes you unique or I don't know? I wonder about that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's like maybe the type of person that wants to just sit around and do nothing. They're not going to get to that early <laughs> retirement level That's in the true. first place. And then the person that is inclined to build a system that gives them the opportunity to retire is not the type of person that wants to. So there's kind of an irony there. I also know personally, I, I always have to have a, a new challenge, whether, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner, you know, I'm learning. In fact, right before we got on this call, 
you know, my flight instructor comes to my office a couple of times a week. He's teaching me how to fly a helicopter. We, you know, bought a helicopter through him. And that, that is like this whole other mental challenge. And I, I just personally, that's my, that's my personality. I've, I've always got to be learning something new and the real estate business checks a lot of those boxes for me to, to just kind of constantly have a, a new challenge of growing a company. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a better game to play for somebody that likes to be mentally challenged than growing a, a company. Nice. Awesome. And you had that corporate background in IT, and I wanted to address how you have brought that background to the real estate business and, and what that does for, for you, your business, and, and your investors, and dive into some of those systems that you put in place to um, scale and grow the business and manage it efficiently and everything. So, you know, let's jump in. I mean, first we could start with, I guess, investor portals, if that's the first thing uh, we want to talk about, investor management systems and, and what you have there. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think there's kind of three things from my, from my background I think about. One is, cloud computing and two is Excel modeling and three is, is CRM and CRM systems. And some of that I didn't really enjoy at the time spending in the, in my corporate world, but I look back and go, wow, those were three tremendous skills to, to develop. And so I, you know, very thankful for having developed those on the investor portal. We started out in, in, you know, I kind of counsel newer syndicators. If you're doing one deal, you probably manage it on, on a spreadsheet. You know, you start getting into two deals. You start having dozens of investors or more. You're, you're probably going to want to explore a portal option. We started out with a portal that was much better than nothing. Uh, but it was a startup company and we ran into issues specifically on one deal where I just, I have a almost maniacal level of kind of service commitment to investors. And there were some things that happened with this portal that were just unacceptable. We had to move, even though, you know, as anybody that's migrated software platforms knows, migrating is not fun oh, yeah. um, and you, you want to avoid it if possible. We end up settling on Appfolio, Appfolio. So Appfolio is a huge, I think they're like a billion dollar software company, really big in the property management software, which funny enough, we don't use their property management software, but we, their investor platform felt like a really good fit. One, the price point was really compelling. Two, their, their investment management services product is really a startup attached to this billion dollar mother, mothership. So they iterate extremely well. I mean, literally sometimes several times a week, they're pushing out new updates, new functionality. Their support team is great. They clearly have funding from their, from the mothership. So they function like a startup, but they're exceptionally well funded. And I imagine some of the, some of their internal processes and everything transferred over from, you know, the big company. And so it's not a garage type startup by any means, but it, in terms of their ability to execute and iterate, it feels like that. So we've been really happy with them. Again, price point. And then, and then, you know, who cares how happy we are? How happy are the investors with it? And we get a lot of feedback from investors and it's streamlined the process. I mean, it, it's indescribable how much time this saves the firm and investors, right? So from launching a product, here, uh, here's a new deal. The webinars in there, the offering memorandums in there, the PPM and the related documents that need to be reviewed and signed, 100% digital signature, wiring instructions are presented. You know, you've got to, you've got to give wiring instructions over a secure format. You can't yes. email wiring instructions, right? And for any passive investors li listening, don't ever get emailed wiring instructions and send money. Call, never, never, verify, never. and then send the money. And so, 
having a secure SSL, you know, platform to send wiring instructions is important for us. We still have people always verify over the phone before they wire, but signing docs. And then once the deal's closed, distributions, you know, we're able to pull an ACH file out of the portal, upload it to the bank, push it out. This takes our office manager like minutes to do every month. And so we've since implementing that portal, we moved to a monthly distribution model, which on our first couple of deals, we did quarterly. And there was one deal. I was like logging into the bank and printing out checks. And it was a disaster, (laughs) you know, from an administrative standpoint. Now we can send monthly distributions. You know, we could send six figures of distributions every month on a project or number of projects. And it's, it's really kind of seamless. So investors love it. We love it. And you just think about the number of cycles that cuts down for everybody across the board. A uh, huge time saver, huge time saver. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very glad that you mentioned security in particular. I've discussed that on the show in the past, and if you listen to other real estate investing shows, it's it's not that hard to find firsthand accounts of folks who have been wire fraud fished. Their they the email wire instructions have been uh, intercepted because their email was hacked. They were sent the the hacker's bank account and wiring instructions and then boom they they didn't check it they didn't pick up the phone and call then boom they wire two three four hundred maybe more thousand dollars to somebody and you can't get it back it's gone and it's it's happened to big investors it happened to barbara corcoran from shark tank she got her money back but it's because she's a a shark on a, a channel but Regular guys like us need to pick up the phone and make that call. I, I love that you mentioned that. And, and we've talked about that on the show before. Huge um, pet peeve of mine. Take 30 seconds. Protect your money. It's every all, single time. Every you single have to time. call. In fact, our wiring instructions now say in red letters at the bottom, you must call our office before you send us money. If you send us money without calling our office, we're not responsible. And I, I put that in there because I wrote a $25,000 check to an investor last year because we, we got hacked on that. Now, thank goodness it was 25,000. Wasn't pleasant. It could have easily been 250,000. And I still would have, I still would have written the check to the investor to make them whole on it, but not fun. And we never want to do that again. So good point for everybody that's involved in, in wiring money. There's a reason title companies have giant disclaimers at the bottom of all their emails around wire fraud. It's, it's, it's a real concern. Oh yeah, absolutely. I hate wiring money. It's easily my least favorite part of making any real estate investment. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. It's wiring the money. It's terribly stressful and very high risk. And it's great that you, that you made them whole, but you know, turn on two-factor authentication, have secure passwords. Like, I'll take all these steps to make yourself a harder target. Make yep. the phone call. Uh, I love and it. Ultimately, it's easily mitigated as a, as an investor. Make the phone call. There you go. Boom. Done. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully you recognize the person's voice when you call them. So you get that extra benefit and you already have their phone number. So moving on to any other, you know, IT packages you have in place. When we were talking before we hit record, you mentioned a few other things you have in place for the customer service aspects of working with passive investors and, and what you have in place and what you think uh, passive investors should expect from some syndicators. So let's break into that. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about expectations first, then we can talk about kind of some of our internal systems and how we've, how we've uh, fine tuned that over the years. But I think the the good sponsors, you know, myself, I'm a passive investor too, are really kind of obsessed with the timeliness of the updates, right? And so usually we see this in a monthly update format. That's what we do. 
we sometimes see financials in a monthly format. We sometimes see financials or a full reporting package on a quarterly basis. That's what we do. We don't send out, push out financials every month, but we do push out a narrative and distributions every month. Here's, you know, we renovated the clubhouse. Here's the photos. We had this resident appreciation event. Here's some photos and a narrative. We are at 94% occupancy and, you know, just kind of some high level metrics so that somebody can open their phone, read through the email, and say, okay, here's what happened. And then also they get another email with ding, you know, you got a distribution. And so there's, you know, we are very purposeful about getting that out on the 15th of the month and the 15th falls on a Saturday, we're going to send it out the business day before. And so that's actually, you know, takes, sounds easy and it looks easy. The result to an investor, like, wow, this comes out like clockwork, but there's some process preparation and things like that that need to happen in order to hit that cadence. So as an investor, um, pay attention to that, maybe ask about that on the front end, what you can expect for communications. And then as an operator, put a focus on that. Cause as an operator, look, you've got a lot of things to do. You got to run the deal and everything, but the whole reason you're able to do the deal is investors trusted you enough with their capital to go do it. So you owe it to them to be very purposeful on nailing the cadence of the updates. So cadence of the updates really important. Uh, cadence of the distributions is important. It should match whatever was communicated up front. And then the reporting as well. And the portal kind of, an investor portal facilitates all that. So I think if you're, if you're working with a sponsor that's done more than one deal, you should probably have some sort of portal to be able to log in. And, you know, nobody wants to tie up resource. Nobody wants to talk on the phone for an hour about a document if they can just go self-service and go look at it, right? So the, the firm doesn't want to be on the phone dealing with that. The investor doesn't. To the extent that everybody can self-service and have documents available securely and updates available, I've actually been surprised. We've got, we've got many hundreds of investors at this point and our call volume is, is like staggeringly low because we've got everything self-service. We push it out proactively. We give you all the updates on a very solid, dependable cadence. And then we give you all the documents. And beyond that, we're here for you anytime, come by the office, call. But I think we do enough proactive push that, that there's really not a, a need for, for a call. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that you're a passive investor as well. Yeah. It's kind of a, I don't know about a dirty secret, but it's a, an inside secret that a lot of guys who sponsor deals also passively invest in, in deals as well. They just don't really talk about it, but it's there. And I'm certainly not going to out anybody, but it's, it's something that a lot of passive investors don't know that the people that they passively invest with most likely passively invest with other sponsors to get some diversification and build relationships and cash flow and, and all the uh, above all that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So other systems that you have in place for, you know, other responsiveness if folks need to, you know, get in touch with you, how do you handle all of that? And, you know, going back to that investor expectation, what should people really, um, what, what's a reasonable expectation for someone to have? I think if you are a prospective new investor, you, you've got to be able to have the call and understand the firm and ask any, any questions you want. You know, I, part of our scaling the company was for our firm was hiring a dedicated investor relations manager a uh, little over a year ago. And uh, that's actually, that's gone really well. And, and it allows, you know, it allows us to have really good service on the front end with a prospective investor. And then of course, ongoing with existing investors, but it also allows me to focus on running the company, which is where I need to be spending my time. So that's been, that's been good. And we have a whole process on the front end. It's a, 
you know, it's an initial phone call. We like to just kind of say, Hey, there's a, if you hit our website, there's a button to book a 15 minute call. It's, it's not, you know, it's, if you want to have a meeting face to face, you want to come by the office. Absolutely. All that's on the table. Obviously during COVID that was impacted, but we want to make it really easy for somebody to just try it out. 15 minute call. Sure. You know, book that it, find out if this is something I want to explore or not. And then after the call, we kind of have a sequence of, of follow-ups, getting them, if, if, if it's a fit, getting them in our portal, following up with a nice kind of thank you gift that we send out to, to every prospect, giving them case studies, giving them, you know, kind of FAQs. And there's a whole cadence to that so that somebody coming in that's new to our firm can get drip fed a little bit of content, ask questions, get to know the team, see, see past deals and just kind of create. Again, I guess, you know, as a passive investor for myself, what would be the best thing I could possibly see? We want to build all that. And we want to do it in an automated fashion so that there's no question about, hey, did, did so-and-so get this follow-up or did we send this out? Literally, there's, you know, there's a, an automated series of tasks that go out after a, a call with a prospective new investor that go out to the various team members to, to make sure certain things happen. And so it's, a, you know, I kind of referenced being a pilot earlier. There's checklists for being a pilot and there's a reason there's checklists. And so we have a lot of checklists within our company because I, I think success in business is, it's not rocket science. It's just executing on the basics consistently. And, and, and sometimes that can just be the smallest things but you gotta, you gotta execute on the basics consistently. And I think some of the software automation tools that we have now with CRM and task automation and things like that, make that easier to do than it's been in the past. Nice. Nice. Now you mentioned you hired a, uh, investor relations manager from your perspective, a uh, business owner looking for someone to fill that role. What do you look for in terms of background, skill set, you know, all that kind of stuff to pick the right person? Yeah, this was a, a very important role, needless to say, right? Very different than an accounting role or, you know, any, the, the, let's take our, you know, our property management company, for example. There's very defined roles, leasing agent, property manager, maintenance, you know, the, the investor relations manager role. For me, it was difficult because I, I was investor. Like, you know, I mentioned I started this company with one house and scaled that up and if, if kind of grown investors like a lot of operators, you know, friends and family and personal capital and then kind of expanding beyond that. So it was difficult to imagine handing the reins over. Like it's entrepreneur's dilemma, right? Nobody's going to do it yeah. better than me. But what ended up working for us is finding somebody that had literally done that job in this industry, in this market. And so that was, that was a big one, right? Um, finding somebody that had, had done investor relations in a multifamily investment firm in Texas. And so kind of got lucky there. And then beyond that, so, and, you know, an understanding of the business, of the, the nomenclature of the acronyms and be able to speak intelligently about this. And then in, in our case, our investor relations manager has a long, uh, employment history in other financial products, other types of investments. So just a really good fit there. And then I think within the, the structure of a smaller firm, being able to wear multiple hats. And I think there's pros and cons of working for a small firm. One is that you, you might be wearing a lot of hats. You know, we don't have a director of marketing. Our investor relations manager basically runs our marketing, right? Cause we're, we're a small firm. So I think for the right person, that's, that's an advantage. You know, no, no days, the, no two days are the same. You kind of get to work on a little bit of everything. You, he certainly gets input on how 
we launch projects, launch initiatives. And so I think, I think anybody, you know, that's an employee wants to have input and feel like they're having a positive impact. And I think it's easier to do that in a small company. The flip side of that coin is there's a lot of accountability, right? There's nowhere to hide oh, yeah. in, in a small company. <laughs> you can go hide in a billion dollar company and disappear and kind of avoid responsibility. A small company, you've got a lot of accountability, but I think for the right person, that's actually a, a pro. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I would agree with that for you and, and building your business. Who was your first full-time hire and why? This was a few years ago, but it was a full-time employee in the Philippines. Mm. You know, just look, especially when I was doing the single family business, the sheer amount of tasks. I mean, you know, from calling to set up the utilities here to paying this interest payment to, I mean, none of them particularly difficult, but hundreds of tasks. And, it, you know, I got to the point because, because I started, you know, as a solopreneur, got to the point where I said, I, I'm pretty sure I can train just about anybody to do these tasks, but there, there are so many of them now. So that was interesting. You know, I did it because of the cost benefit, right? If you're hiring somebody in the Philippines, it also really taught me how to train and delegate because I had to be, ex you probably heard this about working with virtual assistants, things like that. You've got to be explicit about the outcome. You can't just say, here, go do this thing. It's like, hey, this needs to happen. Here's the steps. Here's a training video to it. Here's the cadence, et cetera. And so it, it taught me to be uh, it was kind of maddening for me at first to try to handle handle off these tasks. But what it taught me was to be really explicit about how to delegate. And I think kind of gave me a toolbox and a framework that has helped now that we have a team here in, you know, in the office. So that was the first hire was a, was a virtual assistant. She was with me for a couple of years until I got to a point where I said, you know, I really need somebody here in the office, a little higher skill set, et cetera. Somebody here that I can talk to and my virtual assistant actually works for a buddy of mine uh, in California. He's another multifamily operator and he says she's doing great. So she kind of learned the business and, you know, I, I didn't want to let her go and it was able to kind of transition her over. And she's, she's working for a friend of mine now. So that was kind of a, a happy ending to that story. And then we've been able to grow the team, you know, here in the office now uh, since the company's grown. Nice. I'm in that stage myself right now, hiring that first full-time overseas person. And, and it's yep. tough. How many did you, and uh, building the meta skill of, of training and delegating, I think is, is really the most valuable like piece of that. In addition to the time you get back, but, but learning that for, for later when you grow, how many did you go through? If any, if, if she was the first one you found, I don't know until you found, you know, the one, right. The way I did it, a friend of mine owns a company called, Oh boy. MOD. I got, I'm going to have to look this up. They are a staffing company, right? Mm. And what they do, they got a pretty cool setup. Now they're going to, they're going to take a little spread, right? You're going to pay sure. a little more per hour, but they've got a whole operation in the Philippines. They, they're geared more toward real estate agents, but, but they're, you know, the people they hire understand real estate kind of at a high level. So that was good enough for me, but they actually set up probably 10 interviews for me. It was a very painless process. They set up the interviews. I had probably 10, 15 minute interviews, selected one and she was with me for two years, but that saved me from having to go figure it out overseas. <laughs> I see, I saw a lot of value in a staffing company kind of teeing that up for me. Uh, so fortunately I didn't have to cycle through. And then once she came on board, there's several tools, you know, Google docs, some task automation to be able to say, hey, this thing needs to happen every Wednesday at this date. 
And what I would do is just every task I would put in, there's a service called Loom, M-O-O-M.com. It sits in your browser, lets you screen capture and just gives you a link. So if I wanted to show you how to do something in our CRM, I'd walk you through it three minutes, click here, do this, do this, do this, do this, saves it as a link. And that link goes in the task. So if she only gets that link every, that task every month, she didn't have to reach out to me to, for a refresher. She just go watch that video again or watch it 10 times. If you need to, I just showed you how to do it, put the training onus on her and do it one time. And then over time, we built a library of like dozens of videos is almost like an operations manual for the company in video format that was built over time. And that, that was extremely valuable in terms of getting my time back. And then you become addicted to getting your time back. You go, wow, I gave that away. I didn't know I could give that away. What else can I give away? Cause I'm, I'm like reclaiming my time and shifting that to higher value activities, right? The definition of entrepreneur is taking something from low yield to, to high, to high yield. And that's what I want to do with my time is spend my time on only the highest yield, most impactful things. Nice. Nice. I love it. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Devin, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Network, if that counts. So education, how, how do I do this? That's one thing. And I've, I've certainly invested in that, but I also continue to invest in masterminds, not because of some how to, but just purely because of the peer pressure. I call it positive peer <laughs> pressure of being around people. You're just going to mimic the, your, your peer network. So I advocate proactively get in the best group you can. You want to be the dumbest, poorest guy in the room if you can. And that has been massively impactful. Absolutely. Upgrade your five. You're the average of the five people who spend the most time with. Improve that five and you will improve right along with them. And I love the mentality of trying to be the brokest, dumbest guy in the room. It's always a lot of a lot of fun and also intimidating to do that, but motivating. Indeed. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I invested in a music festival with, oh, no. um, alongside a billionaire and some other guys and fire festival. Uh, it wasn't fire. <laughs> it actually would have done okay. The goal was to invest in it first year. And I, I, I'm a musician. So I was, it's kind of intrigued by this. And I was very intrigued by who else was investing in the deal. Literally, I invested it just so I could be in a meeting with some of the other people. Sure. So lost a hundred percent of the investment because it rained the day of the concert. We sold, <sighs> I think, a uh, 2000 less tickets than we needed to literally because it rained that day. I mean, it's just dumb. That's, you know, the music business or the, but if we, if it would, we would have hit the threshold for the ticket sales, we would have done it the next year and then sold it to live nation after that. And it would have been a great investment. So I, I like the business model lost a hundred percent of capital. That's been the worst investment. And, you know, it was like, well, I guess I'll just stick to real estate. Every time I step outside of real estate, I get nudged back into real estate. Did the investment in uh, getting into that room turn into anything or did that not go anywhere either? It did. It didn't go anywhere? No, it did. Yeah. Oh, it did. It did. Yeah. Okay. So you got that out of it at least. There I you thought. go. Yep. I thought for sure you were going to say COVID is what, what killed it, but it sounds like that might have been. <laughs> no, this is a couple of years ago now. Uh, so this is pre-COVID. Gotcha. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? 
There's a ton. I think the idea of always looking where you want to go because other there's too many distractions otherwise. And so I think literally every morning I have, I have four goals for, for the year 2021. They're, they're around contribution. They're around my health. They're around some business goals. I literally have four, four big ones for the year. I look at them every morning and, and anything that is not helping propel those goals, I try to look away from it. And I, I got this when I was doing a big stressful deal a few years ago and skiing in Colorado. Um, not a great skier. And it kept occurring to me as I'm <laughs> skiing, you can't be looking off the side of the mountain or looking over here. You, ha- you have to be looking where you going, want to go. At all times. And so I try to, I try to do that in my entrepreneurial life. And even as we've had success and everything, sometimes it's easy to lose focus. But I I think the biggest lesson is always looking where you want to go and all the other distractions and challenges that are going to come up. Uh, you just got to keep, keep pushing your head back. Keep, and it's a constant process of, looking where you want to go. And so I think the simpler your goals are, the fewer your goals are, and the more you can just look at that, that's where you're going to go. And that would be my biggest lesson. Nice. Well, Devin, thank you for joining us today. It's been great to actually talk with you since I've been following you on Instagram for so long. Uh, if folks want to reach out, learn more about your business and what you do and uh, your deals and all that great stuff, where can they find you? Yes, Taylor, thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. The best spot would be djetexas.com. There's all kinds of information there. There's a way to reach out, connect. That's kind of the the easiest spot for all of it, djetexas.com. Nice. And you're always putting out a lot of great content. You have uh, events and a lot of stuff out there on Instagram as well. So I certainly recommend that uh, folks follow you there. Thank you for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show, helps us grow and rank higher in their ecosystem and all that great stuff. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into their tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.